Hello and welcome to another episode of The Full Life. Today's topic, the characteristics of noble and godly manhood. I think that's going to be a challenging one, but a good one for our times. Don't miss it. Welcome to another episode of The Full Life. Thanks so much to all of you people out there joining us. We love sharing this time with you every week. And we love sharing and talking about topics that are challenging, but also can enrich our faith in ways that maybe we need in these kind of faith sharing groups that we have. And we hope that we can cultivate on this show. And like the title says, we hope you can live a fuller life by watching and engaging in the conversations we have here. So as we said at the top, today's topic is on Christian manhood. What does that look like? What does that mean? But first, we have an encouraging word from Jenny and a special guest. Well, good day, Full Life family. I am so blessed in this moment to get to introduce on this program of uh, speaking of biblical manhood, my man, uh, who I think is more appropriate to give an encouraging word on biblical manhood than I am. Mm-hmm. Hi, honey. This is my husband, Brian Stavali. He's not just my man. He's my husband. But I received that. Friend, I will. I, I am happy to be your man. And okay. uh, you know, speaking all right, of all right, all right. biblical manhood, <laughs> one of the biggest positions for a biblical Bible-based man is to be not just the head of the household in a lording oppressive uh, dictator fashion, but to be the covering and blessing of the household. Amen. The father... The husband's job is to cover. cover. It's to literally be that that protective barrier between all the stuff of the world, all the decisions, all of the issues of life and the family. And also to be a teacher, an instructor, an exhorter, someone who affirms not just their children, but their wife. You know, I, I, I am blessed to have a godly Bible-based wife to complete this equation because I think we've all seen that the nuclear family for what it's worth, or the Bible-based family has been under attack. It's one of our children. In recent days. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with the nuclear family so long as it is Bible-based. It was God's plan that everyone plays their role, just like uh, it's said in in the epistles about every one of us being a member, a part of the body of Christ. In a family, a father is a very important cog in the wheel. And without that element, Things fall apart. In fact, in the West right now, we're dealing with an epidemic that is one of fatherlessness. And one in every four children grows up in a home without any kind of father figure, let alone their actual father. And the opposite of the spectrum is one in every four children has their actual father in their home. And that is just a terrifying statistic. And there's something to be said about that. If you fall into that category, maybe you're somebody who grew up without a dad or without that father figure, that biblical manhood figure in your home. Just be reminded that the word of God promises us that the creator, our father in heaven is the father to the fatherless. And he'll, he'll be that for you today. I hope that encourages you. And I hope as a father, you feel encouraged and authorized to be good and to be a covering and not a dictator. No, you're a good covering. I mean, I'm blessed to have a husband that is so confident as a man that I'm the lead pastor of our church. That's right. And yet you're confident in who God made you to be. And so Amen. you don't lord over me. You you want to encourage me and you uplift me. And, uh, and that's how you can be a blessing. And you've been such a blessing to me. Before we get into the topic, let me introduce the panel. 
and a special guest for today. So let's start with our panel. Hello, Carolyn. Hello there. It's good, good to be back. I feel so honored to be with all the men today. I know, you gotta hold up the fort for the women today. <laughs> Represent the women well, here we go. Our, suppo our supportive sister in this, in this group. <laughs> And Hank, hello. Hey, everyone. Good to be back. Good to be with you all. And yeah, excited to dive in today, as we do all the time. But it should be a good one. Yeah. Diving in. And Tyshawn is back. Hi, Tyshawn. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So I'm excited about the conversation. And I am so excited to introduce today's special guest, Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, entrepreneur, and popular speaker on a variety of vital social causes, one of which is rooted in Stephen's great concern about the state of manhood currently. To help reverse the downward trend of modern masculinity, he has written leading books on the subject, including Men on Fire. Additionally, has appeared in major media, has spoken at conferences around the world, and launched the Great Man Movement to train men in the art of noble manhood. Stephen and his beloved wife, Beverly, split their time between Nashville, Tennessee, and Washington, D.C. Please welcome to the show, Stephen Mansfield. So really, the question is, as we talk about this idea of noble manhood, a, why is it such an important issue to address? And then, and secondly, why should we look, as you mentioned in your book, sort of inward at the men itself and, and why we've kind of perpetuated this? Well, it's essential for us to address it as a society because we're bedeviled by what, what people are calling today toxic masculinity. If you're a female going to an American college or university, 20% of young females in American college or universities are sexually molested. By whom? Young, unfathered, untethered, unprincipled males or men who are living out toxic masculinity. And I could talk about other other areas from street gangs to terrorisms to shooters on college university campuses. Um, all of this is being done by young men. So society's got to address this. And though, though certainly there are external sources for it, father, fatherless families and universities that attack manhood as a negative force in American history, the fact is men have done this to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, men, are the, men are the ones who have abandoned their responsibilities. Men are the ones who have um, failed to live up to the best that they can be and, and therefore have become toxic to themselves and to society as a whole. So it's a vital topic and I'm really delighted we're talking about it today. Well, I think that, you know, it's not just the world talking about toxic masculinity. I think we as the church have to own that some of what we teach about masculinity and being male is not good. Um, and so I think part of the wrestling is what is healthy masculinity? Um, I think that Stephen touches on, you know, like there's obviously we are seeing the results of unhealthy masculinity. And they're devastating on many levels. So for me... Um, it's finding that balance between, you know, what does not net, what does scripture teach? Um, looking at the example of Jesus, how you does know, Jesus show us peak in um, confidence at nine years um, old? And then the other one too that actually really piqued my interest was, you know, I have two daughters, but it was even um, after that. I remember reading um, a study that came out of Canada a couple of years ago that said that, you know, girls peak in um, confidence at nine years old, which was startling. Um, and it said that boys actually just keep going and going and going. Um, they never necessarily peak until they're like mid twenties. 
And at first I'm like, oh, that's cool. But that 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 balance though, um, I think gets to the heart of some of the toxic masculinity. Most boys are asking that question, what does it mean to be a man? And I think that we as leaders, we as parents, we as friends, we as mentors um, have to take it seriously. Um, I My African comes out, I really do believe it takes a village. Um, I think that parents don't have to hold this on their own. So mm-hmm. how do we invest in one another and how do we in the village help give positive role models. You know, I always talk about how my parents' generation, you know, I'm African-American, you know, we were segregated, right? Um, The few pluses I could think of that is you had a chance in the sense of, you know, if my dad wasn't around, you know, Tyshawn's dad might've been like a lawyer. Carolyn's dad might've been, you know, a pastor. Joseph's dad might've worked for the city. Like I had on my block, again, segregation is terrible, atrocious, don't get me wrong. But like, I at least had those positive examples in and around me mm-hmm. that I can look at and project, right? So I think that's one of my biggest things is, you know, can we start taking ownership for this as a community? Because um, the more I study Christianity, the more I realize it's very communal. Absolutely. I think, and I, 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 I'm going to come back to it, but Stephen talks a lot about that group of people around you as a really crucial need for manhood. And I, we're going to deal with that in a little bit, but I want to bring in Tyshawn first. I'll say our young people are dealing with it, but I'm dealing with it too. You know, I didn't grow up with a dad in my home. And so when I even people, when I hear people say the word masculine, it's a, it's a guessing game to what that looks like for me because I didn't see that in the home. And I think what I'm dealing with, what I think a lot of our young people are dealing with is like, what does that look like? What it, what does it look like to be a man? What is it like to be a man in the, in a right way? I think so many times, if you don't have it at home, you have to figure what it out. You have to figure that out in other places, whether that's TV shows, whether that's movies, whether that's music, whether that's, um, you know, you go over your friend's house and you see how his dad is and then you make decision about how you're going to be a dad. It almost becomes a little bit of a guessing game to me. And so I think it's imperative that we talk about what is it like to be a man, because we have a generation that don't have a man in their home. And so they're they're, they need that answer desperately because they're so afraid to ask the question. They're so afraid to say, what does a man look like? Carolyn, our supportive sister, I know you, you, but you have, you have, you're married, you have a husband, you have a son, you know, that's becoming a young man now. He's 18. So you're right into, you're right in this. I think we see what's happening with this generation that, that we're such a fatherless generation. And it's not just the men, it's the little girls also. And I think what you're seeing is you're seeing little girls who are so starving for this man's approval. There is something, if I can just send a shout out to every man that is out there, that this world I know is sending you a message that you are not important and it is a lie. And our homes in America are showing just how much of a lie that is. Our little girls, our little boys. I mean, I can't tell you, I'm in ministry. I deal with women. I deal with children. I deal with sex trafficked. I just talked with a girl today at four years old was being molested by her father. Now, what that does is it creates a whole bunch of this society that is just so needy for love. And I think that the more that we can get men back to feeling strong again in who God has created you to be and to know that you matter, you matter to society, you matter to the home you are important. I think the more that we lift this back up more in the biblical values, the more we're going to see America and the world really come back into a healthy place. But it has to come back into alignment with the biblical values of the man's role in the home and 
and how important it really is. You have value. So the next question really, before we get into what a righteous man looks like is, what are the common struggles that I, men are out there going through? Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of common things. For, and, and of course, they, they, this is part of the problem with men is that we are dealing with common things, but because we don't talk about them, because we don't have a band of brothers, because we aren't open about what we're struggling with as men, uh, men are left to feel alone. Uh, you all know that this male suicide rate is skyrocketing right. and it's skyrocketing in large part because men are alone. There are other men who are connected to them. They'll write suicide notes to say there's not a man on the planet who knows anything about what I'm going through. And so the, 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 the common kind of struggles that men are dealing with uh, largely have to do in a secular society uh, with, with the place that religion ought to fill. Um, a relationship with God ought to fill. So if you don't have God in your life, if you don't have a biblical definition of what manhood is, if you don't believe that God created manhood and it's a good thing and it's meant for servanthood and you have abilities that are meant to ennoble others, well, then you have to fill that void with something else. And it's going to be material things or it's going to be sex or it's going to be, uh, you know, domination of others. That's why bullying is such a huge issue right now. It makes, makes young men feel like they're, they're strong. So uh, most of, of what I hear young men talk about um, is a complete lack of sense of why they even are male to begin with. And we know where those the sources of that confusion come from. We know it's about the fatherlessness we've already talked about. It's the absence of religion. So what you basically have is what's going on down the street, what's going on in the porn movie, what's going on in the, in the violent movie on, on, on the screen. And um, the statistics, whether they're academic, they're behavioral, they're suicide, they're weight gain, they're, uh, I could go through a whole list, absolute freefall. And the reason is that we don't have a culture of noble manhood to initiate them into. So th these, are, these are some of the struggles that young boys are dealing with. But do you find that so much is to not only because of the lack of seeing it in their home, but what it's being portrayed on TV and in our movies. I know for me, every time I'm watching it, like my heart just breaks because we either make men look stupid, they look dumb, they can't make decisions. I'm sitting there going, I don't want my son to watch this, you know? Well, that's exactly it. I grew up in the home of a high ranking army officer. When something stupid was on TV about manhood or something ridiculous or some indecisive fool was on TV, he would just say so out loud. And so even though we had televisions in our home, uh, nobody looked at the television as a source of truth, as a source of absolutes. That's changed today. And if you don't have uh, a man at the home challenging what's coming through the boob tube, so to speak, uh, then that's going to become defining. And that's the way our society is. Of course, the young are just a wash in media, uh, but there's no moral guide to it. Hank, Tyshawn, have you found um, struggles common in in people that you've had to work with in ministry? When it comes to culture, culture is good entertainment, right? But it's mm -hmm. a bad teacher. And I think we have people that, you know, we have no access to men, but we have so much access to cultural, culture things such as entertainment. And what, what's happening now is that a lot of people, a lot of young men are just portraying what they see on TV. They're portraying on how to treat a girl through pornography. They're, 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 they're learning on how to, how to even be themselves through a reality TV show that's no reality at all. And, and they're guessing, hoping that 
that what they're going to be lead, what they're going to follow is going to lead them to the place of fulfillment. And also what it really does is that it leads you further from it. It leads you more confused. And now you just get more questions when you're trying to do all these different things. So I think when you have no father figure or not even a good father figure, you tend to choose things that are not going to be helpful for your life. When people describe strength, when they describe determination, when they describe even masculinity, I don't think of a man. I think of a woman because my mom had to become all things for me. And so that has benefited me a lot in my respect for women, but it's also hurt me a lot when it comes to how to be a man. So I think we have to really get more coaches and more father figures in our culture to help these young men like myself really delineate like what's right and what's wrong. Let me say something encouraging on that score. Uh, the psychological studies have shown that in the life of a young man who does not have a father in the home, other men in the community, uh, more distant relatives, et cetera, can make as much as an 85% difference. Yeah. They, can't, they can't completely replace the influence of a father in the home and make it perfect, but they can make as much as an 85% difference. So don't misunderstand me. I'm a, I'm a believer in fathers in the home, but I'm not going to treat it like it's some kind of curse that just destroys us for the rest of our lives. Yeah. That's why I spend my time trying to get guys to build bands of brothers. And also, uh, if, you, if a young man didn't have a father in the home and he went to church, did he see righteous manhood modeled with the gospel? And so often the answer was no. Or they saw, at least in the old days and certain types of religious streams, a very feminized kind of manhood, a very, uh, not, not a very masculine thing. And I'm not trying to be insulting. So I'm encouraged about the difference we can make. I'm encouraged about what the different churches can make if we'll get it together. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really encouraged by you, Hashan, because I, I think that here you are not having a father in the home, but you're becoming a father to many others. So I personally, like you, I'm not waiting for Superman. I'm not waiting for Superfather to show up in a toga and train me under a tree. Um, I had a father, a very good man, but he was a very distant uh, military leader, and he wasn't home very much, because, not because he hated me, but because he was in Vietnam fighting a war. And so I had to have many of the same processes that you did. But here's the good news. We can make a difference in their lives if we'll rally and get around these young men and not leave them to their own and the very kind of media that we're talking about. Absolutely. Um, my father wasn't around because he was killed in the Civil War. Um, so me growing up in a single parent home was different than some other people. Um, but I think in ministry, one of the things that we've actually rallied around is, you know, that picture of, of God as father. You know, I think mm -hmm. that's a very intentional picture for us to, to hold on to. I think there's a danger of people who even have fathers in the home of, you know, idealizing them, you know, um, and, and, and I think God is the one who is the perfect father. But I think the other part of this that has to be talked about, though, is parents are teaching sometimes things that are not necessarily, or modeling things that are not necessarily healthy. And for me, that's the other nuance in all of this as well, you know? So as we build the band of brothers, who do they look like? Do they look like Hank or do they look like Jesus? As we talk about fatherhood, are we idealizing our earthly fathers um, when all of them fall short. Like Steven just said, my dad was a great guy, but because of where he was, you know, like he just couldn't always be there. I needed the, the community around me. For me, it was the same thing. Apparently my dad was an amazing person. You know, I say apparently because he died when I was five years old. So literally everything I know about him is what's been told to me. The only thing I would add to what we haven't said is this idea though, is we also have to, we need good examples because some of our kids don't have good examples. And I don't think it's just TV or media. You know, and I think it's so important, too, for us to talk about that there's a difference between a man and a male. 
I, I think if you, I would really love to hear you talk a little bit yeah. more of what a man is, because in this day and age, we're, we're teaching that a man is how much money you bring in. A man is, you know, it's how much power you have. I mean, like so many times it's displayed that women are just an object and, and, and yeah. because they feel so weak or they feel so much shame, it, it often gets lashed out on women and the children. Mm -hmm. And I think if you could just talk about that a little bit, I think it'd be great for men who are maybe watching today that are dealing with anger issues shame issues, feeling weak, feel like they failed. Yeah. Now that we've talked about what the problems are, what does a righteous man look like as right. Carolyn was saying? Yeah. Stephen. Well, every righteous man I know starts with an understanding that there is a God, that God made him to be a man and that manhood is a gift for himself and for others. And once he understands that, then he knows not only what he's meant to be, but that there's a destiny and a purpose for him being a man, that it wasn't an accident, it wasn't just a biological accident, but also that he's got to defend the borders of that manhood, that, that wounds come, that damage comes, uh, but that it's an attack on who he is as a man. I've got a young friend, young African-American friend. I attend a church in D.C. that's 4,000, largely African-American. It's largely an African-American church, 4,000 people. Uh, I'm on staff about 2%. They call me the white spot. And this young man was molested when he was about 10. Well, I, I can't take all the pain out of that, but I can tell him this is an attack on who you are as a man. Mm -hmm. This was meant to deform you. And so you and I are going to stand together and see this thing healed and see the, see the intention of the evil one in that molestation uh, driven out and see you take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. Well, it's made all the difference in his life. Not only does he have uh, an older white man who, by the way, he calls the great white father, uh, he not only has me standing at his side, but he's also got uh, a, a roadmap for the pain. And so I, I certainly understand what you're saying, that men are living with a lot of pain. Uh, but what, they, what, what most of us need is not a, an immediate absence of pain. Um, that, for some people, is what booze and drugs bring. What they need right. is a roadmap for it. I hurt, but why do I hurt? And is it part of a part of struggle? And is anybody going to fight with me? Um, right. I love the great quote from Philo of Alexandria of centuries ago. He said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Uh, everyone, on this, everyone on this program is fighting a battle. And so my goal is to join men in the battle for their lives. And uh, if I can give them a roadmap for it, if I can help them understand why they hurt um, and, and, and show them about how to battle against it, well, then they may never be 100% pain-free, but they won't be, you know, doing what psychologists call that, you know, the, living out the negative active past. They won't be going and shooting people and beating people up when they're actually in pain and just don't know how to deal with it. Right. They'll have a roadmap for that pain and they'll be pressing into holiness. So that's, that's, that's one of the things we've got to do. I'm not responsible to make everybody free of pain and, and change their past. I, I can, though, help them understand why it came and give them the spiritual resources they need to fight back. Absolutely. I love when you, you say it in the book, you, your righteous man understands his needs, but can satisfy them in a righteous way, you know, and, and we are, we reflect all of, we reflect the glory of God in our work as, as men, if we are, we are living in that way. Uh, Tyshawn, what does a righteous man look like? I think for me, um, I would say it's a man that loves and a man that protects and, and gives direction. Yeah. I think, I think when even when um, Apostle Paul is giving instruction for the people in Ephesus, he says, husband, loves your wives as Christ loved the church. I think love is something that um, 
when I see men walking in, I think that's something that's very godly. I think so many times I know some people that have men in their home. They have a father in their home, but the man is there in attendance, but they're not present. You know, they're not fully there. They don't tell their son or their daughter that they're proud of them. They don't say that I love you. They don't say they don't show that affection. And I think so much times when you don't get that, it can hurt you to a certain extent. So that's why you get a lot of men chasing affirmation for other things. Like Caroline said, whether that's money, whether that's girls, whether that's how much affluence I can get, how much influence I can get. And I think for me, when I look at a man of God, I think of a man of love, a man of direction, and a man that's going to lay down his life and say, hey, I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to be there. So for me, when I think of a man, I think of someone that you can be strong on the outside, but making sure that you're showing that love, making sure that you're giving that direction, making sure that you're sacrificing yourself, similar to how Christ sacrificed himself. And I think that is what, to me, a righteous man looks like, a man of love, a man of direction, and a man of purpose. Man who looks like Jesus. Yeah. Absolutely. Carolyn. Well, you know, I, I love the scripture, First um, Corinthians 16, and I actually just looked it up because my husband talks about it a lot because he's raising, you know, a son. And, and my husband did not come from a Christian home, but he still had a wonderful father. Um, but he had a dad that never said, I love you. And once my husband got saved, he began a journey of telling his father every day, dad, I love you. He'd get no response. And he'd say, dad, I love you. Just every time they go hang up, dad, I love you. Okay. Finally, the one day that it broke and his dad said back, I love you. And then that's when it began to see a healing is because the man began to soften his heart. And that's why I love first Corinthians says, be on guard, stand firm in your faith, act like men, be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. And if you really break out down each one of those, stand firm in your faith. I, I will tell you as a woman, there is nothing like seeing a man on fire for God. There's nothing like waking up in the middle of the night, Steve, and I'll see a light on in my husband's office where he's in there seeking the Lord. And I'm telling you, I could tear up. No offense, without you saying it, we see your weaknesses. We just don't often say it. Sometimes we do, and that gets us in trouble. But we see your weaknesses already. We're not judging you for your weaknesses. We're judging you for your pride that you won't admit them yourself and go get help. You know, and that's where we're, it's like when you're driving a car, it's like, just ask for directions, dude, look it up. We're almost (laughs) there, you know? And I think if they would understand us women want to be your cheerleaders. Um, I'm not saying all women, but I would say in most women, we're, we're naturally nurturers. I'm not saying all women because not all women are, and that's okay. They're still women. But I just think that if you would just, Man, just humble yourself before God. It's everything. Mm-hmm. It's everything. I mean, I tell my husband, he, he woke me up yesterday morning to do a podcast thing. And I just looked at him. I said, thank you for leading. Thank you for leading. Mm-hmm. It's not that us women can't lead, guys. We can. But if we stick mm-hmm. to the biblical, how it looks, two heads make a monster. And so I have to take myself and realign it. It doesn't make me less than. It doesn't make me not important. It makes me different. And I just think that we have to uh, annihilate that whole thing that if we're not equal, then, you know, but no, we can be equal, but there still can be an alignment that doesn't make me weak. It just makes me different. And I have my own strengths. So, 
You know, I just want to encourage you men, just keep seeking the Lord. It's everything to me. Well, we two become one, so we should be of one at that point, because that's yeah. where that's what we are called to do very, very clearly in the Bible. Hank, do you have a perspective on what a righteous man looks like other than yourself? Because I know you're very <sighs> that's funny. But I think the whole passage, though, is actually about, I would say, mutual submission. I think that's the heart of it, right? Um, I, I push back on a little bit when people use that passage to justify leadership in things that some men have no reason to lead. So for example, if your wife is the CPA at a Fortune 500 company, like you should not be doing the books in your house just because you're a man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I think you have to actually break it down like that because some people use that passage wrong and they're like, well, I'm the man I should lead here. I'm like, no, bro. Like she right. literally is a CPA at a Fortune 500 company. Right. I feel as though, you know, she might be able to handle the planning on this, you know? Um, so I think that's some of the things that what I think healthy leadership does, right? Like our healthy manhood is Absolutely. where do I crucify my privilege? Because I think, you know, in this society, we've been talking about all the negative ways it impacts men, but there's also some ways it impacts us that it's not necessarily stuff, stuff we've earned, right? So I think part of our leadership has to be, um, so I, I've heard a couple of people talk about relationships where people just didn't tell them that they were loved, Right. Um, I remember one time we had um, a friend who said that to me and it broke my heart because it never even crossed my mind. You know, never even crossed my mind that she can go 25 years or however long it is without someone saying, I love you, right? Um, so I do think it's very, very important for us to realize that healthy masculinity has to look like Jesus first. And the way it looks like Jesus is humility. The way it looks like Jesus is actually working together for the good for those around yeah. us. And the way it looks like Jesus is me... Um, operating from a gifts mindset. You know, I think that's important. Like I, I, I read that passage over and over again, and I think we use it sometimes to control, and I don't think that's the purpose of it. Um, so I, I feel like we need to also include in this healthy discussion, like where do gifts play a role and where it's okay? Because I think leadership isn't always from up front and leadership isn't always running ahead, right? So how what are we doing to actually inspire those around us to use their gifts? I think that's gotta be part of, of righteousness as well. And even the beginning of that verse, Hank, is is submit to each other. I mean, it's well, yeah, starts, the beginning of the whole passage, the first right? Yeah. Chapter starts. We skip that. over that part, though. We don't. Yeah, we don't I know. I was gonna, I, that, uh, but I brought it out to highlight. No, we we hear that one in in society a lot, but it actually says submit to each other right at the top of that because that is really what we're supposed to be doing. And I read I read this other part where it becomes you know, just as Christ does the church where we are members of one body. We talk about the body of Christ in many parts all the time. So just as that model of the yeah. church being different parts of the body, so are the man and the woman. They're, mm -hmm. they're equal in importance, but different parts of the body. They fulfill exactly. different parts and different needs. And that's the way where I think we should be more looking at it. But Stephen mentioned a roadmap, and I know he has a roadmap in um, Men on Fire, and there's seven fires there, and 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 I want to go into that now so we can start giving people a roadmap on how to become these righteous men we've described now. So Stephen, I'll toss to you to talk about the, the fires that should be burning inside noble men. Well, I appreciate that. I, I wrote this book. I'd written a couple other books, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men and Building Your Band of Brothers. And still, when I looked at the men that I was training and the men in, in my world, I, I saw something missing. Uh, and it wasn't an outer conformity to a moral code or a manhood code. It was some, It was a fire on the inside. It was something, uh, just a gaping absence, a gaping hole on the inside. 
So I began to ask men, began to talk to men, began to watch them. And I realized that there were seven things that were missing. And one of them is a fire for God. And that's, that, of course, has to come to the kinds of things we're talking about now. But men are meant to be animated also by the fire of heritage. Uh, it doesn't matter what the kind of negative background you may come from. If your whole family was criminals, there's something, there's some, you know, diamond in the dunghill that you can build on. And I talk, I tell stories about this. We're meant to be part of something that flows from the past through us, that ennobles us, that we feel part of. Uh, and so that chapter on heritage has had a lot of impact on guys. We're meant to be filled by the, informed and shaped and set aflame by the fire of friendship. Uh, we're meant to be set aflame by the fire of uh, the legacy that we're going to leave. Uh, this is this is vitally important. And so I t I've got seven fires there. I don't want to try to sell the book. But what it, what they're about is a very, very personal charge to each man to reclaim the fires in his life. We ought to be animated by these things. As I go through my life, I ought to be animated uh, by, by what's flowed uh, down through my family line. And I've got horrible things in my family line. I've got ancestors who were KKK. I've got ancestors who were, you know, on the wrong side of wars. I've got criminals who are ancestors. But then I've got a father who's a war hero. And I've got uh, ancestors who did noble things. And so I let that flow through me. So this is an example of how I urge men to see those fires reignited in their souls. We're talking about uh, rather large cultural issues and, and family and societal issues, absolutely vital. But these seven fires are extremely personal. And so I kind of put the bead on men and say, hey, we can, we, we can, we can be animated. We can be set aflame. We can have our souls restored to us uh, if we'll walk these things out. Absolutely. And I wanted to break some of those down with the group here because I, I did go through the book. And I agree that the heritage chapter was very interesting because I think that can really speak to you know, people as Tyshawn and Hank who maybe didn't have a heritage or didn't have that immediate tie to their father. And, but you talk about men being, you know, one of our important strengths is being men of vision and being able to see that, you know, those noble elements and taking that down into our own lives and really, you know, being connected to something. So yeah, let, we can talk more about that because I thought that was very interesting way of feeling connected when you may not feel like you can connect. Um, it's not just about, you know, your immediate heritage. Like we can build heritage. So I think that was the other idea. I don't know if Stephen will get to it, but I think that's the other intriguing idea about your book, right? And this, or your books, really. Um, and this idea of band of brothers, but it's like, we're not just slaves, if you will, to our past. Like we can help create a better future by instituting things that that can build a more healthy heritage as well. So yes, I love heritage. I mean, I think that we are all here because of people who've been here before. And you can look at that scientifically, metaphysically, philosophically, spiritually, any way you want to look at it, right? But we are all only here because of the people who've come before. So what can we learn from them and how can they inspire us today? I think that's a question we should all be asking. Absolutely. Um, yes, and to your point, Hank, I want to talk about Band of Brothers, because uh, I was wounded there. I was rejected by bullying, and I just, uh, I, I can tell you probably to this day, I probably have no, I, other than the, my my in my my father-in-law and my father, I don't think I would call anyone. So, and that, so that has been my biggest, and I had a great father figure, and that still is a, is a, is a hole for me. Here's the deal. I, I need guys walking closely enough with me to know what's going on with me without me having to narrate it. Yeah. Um, very briefly, I saw a picture of myself not too long ago and it was handed to me. I said, what, who is that? They said, it's you fool. 
And it was the ugliest picture of a man I've ever seen in my entire life. And it was me at an ugly moment at a party. And nothing immoral was going on. But you know how it is. My T-shirt was stretched over my belly. And I was sunk down in a chair. And I was in half a blink. So I looked drunk, even though nobody was drinking. And I had 19 Oreos in my mouth. And so I looked like Jabba the Hutt on a bad day. And so, uh, you know, the the fact is, if I can look that way on the outside, what must I be like on the inside? Well, I, I I may be real blunt for a moment. I need men close enough to me to be able to hear that angry cell phone call with my wife. I, I need men close enough to know that I've slipped from maybe one glass of wine with my steak at night to five. Uh, I need guys to know that I'm, I'm, I'm 40 pounds overweight. What's going on with me? I need for them to hear the F-bombs that maybe I drop. And, and these are all fat manufactured, by the way. But uh, the F-bombs that I start dropping and, and confront me. And, if, if you know, a lot of times we Christians, we we kind of have these accountability groups with men. Well, that, that means that I drive across town once a month and serve up the, uh, summon up the courage to tell you uh, what's wrong with me so you can tell me uh, how to fix it and maybe pray for me. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be dead because I don't have that kind of courage. I need men who are right in my life, and that's a band of brothers. Uh, a band of brothers have a, no, a free fire zone where anything that I need to say to Hank to make him better, I'll say. Anything he needs to say to me, he'll say. And we'll coach each other to be better. We're committed to each other. And that's just it's just got to happen. It's just got to happen because it doesn't happen automatically anymore. We move too much. Our families are too broken. We're too isolated in our work. And so my band of brothers is a bunch of guys who have a lot of fun together. There's a lot of fun. There's a lot of smack talk. But we have saved marriages. We have kept men alive. We have urged men on to be the best they can be. We've seen guys rise in their fields. We've seen them connect with Jesus at deep levels and make a massive difference in their community because there were men around them. And they, the, the first call if something went wrong in the marriage wasn't to the lawyer. The first, the first line of defense wasn't 20 rings out, so they had nobody really to call. And I've gotten that call at three in the morning and I've, and, I, and I've been there and guys have been in my life and I don't know how a man lives without it. So for me, a lot of the issue is building those bands of brothers and being intentional about it. Tyshawn, have you been, have you been able to build a band of brothers or how have you done that with that in your life? Yeah, I, th- I think that little one, I, you know, going through the book, I was like, you know, there's a lot of things where I felt like I was like, I'm not doing this yet, but the band of brothers, that, that's the one that I, I think that is a priority for me. And it's because I didn't have, again, a male father figure in the home. So I think I slanted very heavy with uh, a lot of male friendships. One of my best friends, we've been best friends since 16 years old. And he's a youth pastor in Las Vegas, where I'm from. And I will call him with anything's going on. He he will have seasons where he just assumes a lot. Well, Tyshawn's good. Tyshawn's fine because his Instagram is good. It seems like ministry is going well. And I'll call him and I'll call other people like Adrian or or Nate Shansline, Ethan Shockley, so many people, Devin Mitchum, that I'll call and say, hey, um, this is where I'm at right now with pornography. This is how hard it's coming at me. I'm not going to tell you that I'm getting tempted once a month. I'll be honest with you and tell you I'm getting tempted every day lately. I don't know what happened during quarantine was a moment where I just felt like, you know, as a man, sometimes we do find identity in what we do. And for me, it's doing youth ministry. It's growing the room. It's growing the leaders. It's creating an environment where young people can have an encounter with God. Well, during quarantine, I didn't have that. And so I have all this energy, but I have nothing to put it in. And I just saw these things creeping in, whether that was me being tempted to do things that I never thought I would be tempted to do. Maybe it was me getting arguments with my wife and going too far and saying things that I should have never said or or blowing up in anger and then having because then throwing something. Well, I can easily hide that. But what I've just learned to do is that I don't know 
I don't even know if I do accountability right because I tell my guys everything. I'm like, hey, man, this is when I did it. This is why I did it. This is how I did it. This is what I need from you. If you and if they don't do it, I'll call them and say, hey, you're supposed to call me last night. I almost had a moment, but I didn't. Um, but I need you. And I and I th- and I've seen that help me so much in my life. Like if you remove my friendships, if you remove Michael, you remove Nate, you remove Omar, you remove these guys that I talk to on a daily basis. Um, I don't think I'm on this talk show right now. I don't think I'm the pastor I am. I don't think I'm the communicator that I am. I think I would have stopped. And I think sometimes it's even them challenging, not even just my failures and coming in and helping with that, but it's them even challenging the successes. Like, hey, hey, you're getting arrogant, Tyshawn. You're getting prideful. Do you think this thing is all built on you? And then you have to have those hard talks where the guys really, really know you and they say something that's challenging. But I'm like, you know what? I needed that. I, I'm grateful that I get embarrassed in a small group of people than getting embarrassed in front of everyone because I didn't have those right friends at the right Mm -hmm. places to help me out. Having those friends has really preserved my life and has helped me get closer to my purpose than I ever would have gotten alone. So I really heavily believe in what he's saying. I think we all need our band of brothers. Wow. That was powerful. Yes, it really was. I mean, as a woman, it's that, that checklist of how are you? That honest conversation, I think that man, how much it would just empower our men. Um, what he's just saying, it just touches me. Thank you, Tyshone, for just for just sharing and being so vulnerable, because mm-hmm. to me, you're touching people right where people are. That's real. Uh, Stephen, I wanted to go back to the topic of Band of Brothers to discuss now for people like me, if I'm have traditionally been terrible at creating this band of brothers, you have a technique, you have a battle plan about how to create a band of brothers. So Yeah, this is one of the skills we need to be teaching men because men who suddenly realize they need a band of brothers, they'll start taking hostages. <laughs> you know, they'll just start going to guys at the work of like, hey, meet with me and talk to me about things. <laughs> right. And you can't do that. But the good news is for even the shyest guy in the world, um, men connect best to what's called the indirect connection. Uh, men get to know and go deeper with other men while doing other stuff. Women are different. They do studies with little boys and little girls, and uh, they stick little girls in a room. And the girls uh, inevitably, after eyeballing each other for a while, will find two chairs and turn the chairs facing each other. And one of them will say, I like your hair. And they are, within five seconds, best friends forever. The little boys turn the chairs side by side, shoulder to shoulder, look out at the world and start figuring out things to do. I bet I can beat you to that tree that we can set that door on fire. I bet we can get Tommy to pull us in that wagon. They start thinking of things to do together. It's figuring out some way for guys to get together and do things indirectly. Men are just made to evaluate each other and build relationships while they're doing something other than evaluating each other and doing relationships. The worst thing you can do, the pastors on the call know, is to circle a bunch of guys up in the fellowship hall and say, Bob, how are you feeling today? I'm telling you, not one of those guys is coming back next week. And so uh, you got you got to figure out some way for men to have fun, talk smack, hang out, and kind of check each other out indirectly. And by the way, we ought to be teaching this to our sons, uh, you know, early in life, so they learn how to build friendships. It's not just a matter of walking down the halls at school and seeing if anybody likes you or not. It's a matter of knowing how to actually go after a relationship if you want to have a deeper relationship with somebody. I think that's going to open up a lot of doors for a lot of people. All right, Joseph, I'm on your case now. You just admitted on this call that you didn't have this in your life. And I'm grateful for your father-in-law and your father. But I'm saying to you as an older man, the oldster on this call, you can build a band of brothers and we're expecting you to and come back and report to us about it. 
Um, but I think the key is what you just shared, right? Like this idea of finding common interest and, and, and starting there. Like, I think that for a lot of people, um, it's just most of us are best friends in the world. Like we didn't walk up and be like, hey, Stephen and Tyshawn and Joseph, we will now be best friends. You know what I mean? Like most of us, like that's not how it happened. Like, you know, like it's probably around some connection, whether it was we sat next to each other in school, same youth group, same team, you know? Like I think that like that's the key is the like, and I think the other thing I would only add about Band of Brothers is it gets us back to this, I would say one of the foundations of Christianity mm -hmm. of our walk is that we need each other. You know, like the reason we're so isolated is because that's what the world has taught us to do. And we know all the pain of that, right? And the last thing, one of the last things I want to talk about was kind of that idea of battle or more, I think more the adventurous spirit of men. Yeah, I think men relate to the idea of battle. And when we right. start talking about the invisible battles, we've got to fight for make ourselves better and stand with our friends. Uh, then I think that we start to get close to how a man ought to conduct himself. Right. Um, I fight for my children. I fight for my wife. I fight for my, my kids. It's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of encouraging. It might be a matter of money. Um, it's a battle. Um, in my band of brothers, we got a guy who battles depression. We can, we, all of us have been around this enough to know with him. We can see it coming on him. We know how to get in there. We all kind of move into his house and take over. We don't, we don't let him sit alone. You know, we pray, we battle this thing, and he's overcoming it with our help. Why? Because I know how to fight for my friend. And yeah. men, when they get into each other's lives, they help each other fight it. Um, and sometimes it's minor stuff like eating too much. And in some cases, that's a, that's a minor thing for some people. Um, you know, my biggest battle, I don't mind saying it right here on, on the air. I don't have any chemical addictions or anything. But I feel at times like my soul is made of Velcro and a fence sticks to me. So even though I'm not a petty person, I think I'm a pretty warm person. I, throughout my life, I've just had to realize that I can I can get offended pretty quickly, and and it sticks to me, and I have a hard time overcoming it. And so my my friends have got shorthand language. They'll check with me on the road. How you doing? How's the offense? You aren't drinking any bitterness today, are you? You know that kind of stuff. And uh, and they'll coach me, and they'll check with me, and uh, you know they'll see me pulling away from somebody maybe. And so that's just a syndrome I have to watch. I'm not sure where it comes from. But I, but I freely admitted and tell my friends, hey, you better help me through this. And I'm helping them through stuff at the same time. So all of that to say, um, this, is, this is how we battle and stand with each other. And a, and a, and a good man, I think a godly man, uh, has got to have the fire of battle in his soul. It doesn't mean he's violent. doesn't mean he picks on people. Of course not. Right. What it means is that he knows how to kick the backside of the devil and encourage your brother and get to the other side of a crisis. And that's, that's something we have, to, we have to talk about, the invisible battles a man's meant to fight. And so once you, once you get hold of that, it actually becomes exciting and part of the grand adventure of being a righteous man. That's right. I love that. Have you been able, have you lived through some battles, Tyshawn? Have you learned, what have you learned then how to battle? Like yeah, you know, one of the hardest things for me has been the silence of malauthority. It It is a mm. piercing sound to me. It's something that I hear. I hate when men are silent with me, yet I know that I'm a silent man as well. I've had to go to people because I will create a narrative in my mind of why that person is silent. I think I know where it's from. It's primarily not having a dad in my life. And so when not having him, you know, if, if there's someone that tells me they're proud of me on Monday and then they don't tell me the following Monday, I'm like, they hate me. 
I've had to go to my band of brothers and say, hey, when my boss said this, when they when I got this text message from my leader, when they said we expect this out of you, am I in trouble? No, Ty, that, that's normal. OK, it's not normal for me. OK, so because it's not normal for me, I have to embrace uh, pulling a lot of men. And I've even told my boss before I said, hey, when you're very silent, I interpret it like this. And they're like, well, Ty, it, actually, if I'm silent, it's a good thing. That means you're not doing anything wrong. No, no. Not for me. When when I don't hear your voice, I think you're distant. I think you're going to leave me. I think I'm about to be fired. And I create this whole narrative. So I've had to invite a lot of men. It's it's a very no matter no matter how far the youth ministry goes, no matter how much success and I'll and I'll have success screaming at me. Not to say our youth ministry is the best thing in the world. It's not before what God has given us and where it's taken and where it's gone. I know that we've gone so far and I have a list of accolades of where I should feel secure but the silence steals from all those accolades in an instance. I, I've been in that same situation. In the middle of my life, I went through a big crisis. And so I had a bunch of, bunch of pastors in a room kind of confronting me. I hadn't, I hadn't misbehaved, but I was mad. And I wanted to you know, shoot some people. And so they all jacked me up and confronted me and all that. And I, like Tashawn, I thought, well, that means that these guys are hitting me hard. Therefore, our relationship's over. And so when the whole confrontation thing was over, one of the guys said, hey, let's go eat. And uh, they all got up and started walking out. And I'm sitting there with snot coming out of my nose and tears in my eyes. And one of the guys turns to me and said, hey, you coming? I said, you want me to go? You want me to go with you? He says, yeah, you're buying. Come on. And so, you know, they all leave. And and uh, I get the message. Hey, confrontation's not not rejection. And so it's in the nitty gritty between men where that stuff gets worked out and gets healed. You know, it, it, we can pray for a man. Uh, we can, we can uh, tell him the truth. But it's going to be in the, in, the, in the grind of living doing life together. The problem is most of us aren't doing life with other men. Um, we're reading about it. We're having the occasional check-in. We're having the occasional Zoom call in the COVID situation. But we don't have men actually sitting there going, or at least older men, saying, look, I told you I loved you, and I've shown it in every way, and I'll reaffirm it in time. It just, but if I don't, you can't freak out and think I hate you. And that's, that's coming from some of that programming in your past. And so when I had men talk to me that way, I kind of settled down because my father was the kind of guy who didn't tell me he loved me either. Mm. If I got punched in the arm, I knew that was love. That was as close as it got. Um, he was trying to tell me he loved me. So this is part of the lore of men. This is part of that secret decoder ring kind of stuff that we all know when we hang together. And it's how we make men better. And now let's focus on the fullness of prayer. You know me, I always have to go back to the Jewish roots of things, but there's a song called Dayanu, or there's a, it's a, it's a song or it's a, it's a thing. It's a part of the Passover Seder and the words Dayanu mean uh, it would have been enough. And you're going through the whole process of the Exodus. And they say, you know, if God had released us from slavery, but not taken us out of Egypt, it would have been enough. If he had taken us out of Egypt and not done this or that, it would have been enough. If, if he had done this without doing that, it would have been enough. And it's this idea of thanksgiving, being thankful for what you have before you ever ask for anything else. And so I enter the courts with thanksgiving. I, I enter, uh, you know, with praise. And so then that's when I begin to worship the Lord God. And then when it comes to, you know, the word tells us that we're to make our requests known into to the Lord but we also know you know Jesus says if you ask anything in my name my father will give it to you so the father is the one that's in Matthew uh, and a couple other passages the father is the one that's granting our requests but we ask in Jesus name he says ask in my name and I think that's sometimes where people don't don't remember that we're supposed to be asking in his name why because he is our representative to the father he goes to the father for us so we come into that place with thanksgiving and praise, we come and we 
we call upon the name of Jesus and we ask the Father in his name. You know, so there are different times where we approach God in different ways. There are those corporate times where it is the royal majesty of God. And then there's times we just need to talk to our Father and just fellowship. And so that's kind of sort of what has been my time of prayer. I'm so grateful for everyone's contributions today. Uh, one of the fires, Stephen, and thank you for joining us again. One of the one of the fires that you mentioned is the fire of destiny. So I and I want to encourage people to go after that God-given destiny because, as you mentioned, also we don't do very well with patience. We want to have it right now. So keep going on that. Keep going on that journey and keep being patient because if you're destined, you're also targeted. Uh, and I guess I have to go now and go find a band of brothers. So you should go find yours too. Tell us about finding your band of brothers. You can comment when, when, the, when the show gets posted and tell us about your band of brothers. And uh, so next time you'll see me and I'll tell you all about those new people in my life. Thank you for joining us on The Full Life for this really important and informative discussion. I hope it impacts your life and we'll see you next time.